already. You guys got quiet quickly. So good morning and welcome. Uh, good to be back in, uh, in town and back with you all. Last week we were in Washington, D.C. for Thanksgiving. We had a, a wonderful time and it's good to be back and trying to get back into routines and all that stuff is always a bit of a challenge um, when you take a few days off, but it is good to be back. Um, as Mike mentioned in his prayer, uh, continue to uh, pray for the McArdle family, especially Tim as he's recovering um, and, and making progress uh, as he's been battling infections and, and things like that. And there's still a long road ahead. Um, and so I just wanted to mention as we begin, um, if you've been thinking of ways to serve the family, um, either talk to Mike Tucker or myself, um, we can kind of coordinate some of that and give you ideas and whatnot to, to help the family out during this time. But continue to pray for Tim. Tom and Kathy are, are staying up there at the Ronald McDonald House, and they're very close by. Um, but as you can imagine, they're very exhausted uh, from, from everything going on. Um, so he's, he's had one surgery, um, and, and potentially more surgery awaits, and that's one of the things that you can be praying about. Um, that it wouldn't be necessary, that the doctors would have wisdom in how to deal with that. Um, but just continue to lift this family up as they are going through a lot right now. So just wanted to give you that update. And um, if you are on Facebook, you can see the updates um, as they come from Tom, if you're um, friends on Facebook and all that stuff. So this morning, we are in the second week of Advent, uh, as you can see by the electric candles that we have takes a lot to light those, by the way. The second candle that is lit for Advent symbolizes peace. Our series is entitled The Hymns of Advent, and each week's theme is connected to the Advent theme, connected to the candles and all of that good stuff. And so the, the theme that we're looking at this week is peace, and we're looking at the hymn, O Holy Night. This hymn was written in 1847, I'm going to mispronounce this name, but we'll just go for it, by Placide Capot, a poet and the commissioner of wines in a small French town. Now, that sounds like a job. Now, there are a couple of interesting stories that surround this hymn. I'm not going to go into the details of how it was written. There's a little bit of mystery, uh, I guess, still surrounding its writing and, and all of that. Um, he wrote the French version, the original version, which was just a poem at the time called Cantique de Noël. And uh, it was later translated into English, and um, he also had it set to music at some point. Um, and there's all sorts of drama that kind of surrounded it for the first few years of its existence. But legend has it that on Christmas Eve in 1871, in the midst of fierce fighting between the armies of Germany and France during the Franco-Prussian War, a French soldier suddenly jumped out of his muddy trench. Both sides stared at the seemingly crazed man. Boldly standing with no weapon in his hand or at his side, he lifted his eyes to the heavens and began singing Cantique de Noël, O Holy Night. After completing all three verses, a German infantryman climbed out of his hiding place and answered with Martin Luther's robust hymn, From heaven above to earth I come. The story goes that the fighting stopped for the next 24 hours, while the men on both sides observed a temporary peace in honor of Christmas Day. The second story took place 35 years later, Christmas Eve 1906, 
a man by the name of Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Fessenden spoke into a microphone, and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. And these were the words he began with. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. He began in a clear, strong voice, reading through Luke chapter 1 and 2, uh, hoping that he was reaching across the distances he supposed he would. Shocked radio operators on ships and astonished wireless owners at newspapers sat slack-jawed as their normal coded impulses heard over tiny speakers were interrupted by a professor reading from the Gospel of Luke. To the few who caught this broadcast, it must have seemed like a miracle, hearing a voice somehow transmitted to those far away. Some might have believed they were hearing the voice of an angel. Fessenden was probably unaware of the sensation he was causing on ships and in offices, he couldn't have known that the men and women who were rushing to their wirelesses to catch this Christmas Eve miracle, uh, he couldn't have known how many were listening to him. After finishing his recitation of the birth of Christ, Fessenden picked up his violin and played O Holy Night, the first song ever sent through the air via radio waves. And he sang the last verse in chorus. When the carol ended, so did the broadcast, but not before music had found a new medium that would take it around the world. So I want to read the lyrics of O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. O oh, night, O oh, holy night, O oh, night divine. And skipping to verse 3. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, O oh, praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim, his power and glory evermore proclaim. This hymn was written from Luke's account of the birth of Christ, and so this morning, let's read a portion of that. Let's read Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the, Lord, of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known, made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they all had heard and seen as it had been told them. As I read through that and got to the point where the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, I immediately had this flashback of every Christmas play that I'd ever been in as a child because I was always a shepherd. <laughs> that was my line. I don't know why that all of a sudden just the image in my head, but we're going to focus this morning on peace. And we're going to look at it in two ways. First, his gospel is peace. And second, living in that peace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, as people who are rejoicing in the good news of great joy that your angels told so long ago to some lowly shepherds in their fields. By faith, we have replied much like they have. Let us go and see what this is all about. You've drawn us. You've beckoned us to come. And by faith, we've believed in this good news of great joy. That you would send your son to live here on this earth. And we know the rest of the story that he would eventually go to the cross and die on our behalf for our sin. And he was raised again. And now he's sitting down next to you, your right hand, interceding for us. Father, we thank you and we rejoice in that wonderful news this morning. I ask that as we go through this topic of peace, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up in peace, that we would have our hearts filled with your peace. Father, we, especially this morning, as Mike has already prayed and I'm sure many in this room have already prayed this morning for. We, we lift up Tim and uh, Tom and Kathy and the rest of the McArdles. Our hearts are aching for them as they're going through this very difficult trial. Lord, we just ask for your peace to fill uh, all the McArdles this morning as they're dealing with that, especially Tom and Kathy as they're so tired and, and weary. Um, and, and Tim, as he's laying in the hospital bed, Lord, would you fill his heart with peace? Touch this family. Jesus' name, amen. His gospel is peace. Christmas is not really the most peaceful time of year, is it? <laughs> Yet peace is one of the themes that we tend to highlight the most during this time. Even in the over-commercialized celebration of Christmas that we see on, you know, in holiday movies, commercials, and in Christmas music, all that good stuff, uh, we hear the promise that Christmas will bring about peace that it'll bring a festive respite from the hustle and bustle of the daily grind. Yet Christmas, for many, tends to be a season where we're just trying to make it through. We're just trying to get through the month of December and into the new year. Now, I've enjoyed picking an Advent devotional every year, uh, each December. I've read a number of them the last several years, and if you're looking for recommendations, I can surely give you a few. But um, this year, I'm reading The Gifts of Grace by Jared Wilson. It's a, a new one that's come out. Um, it's become a, a bit of a tradition for me, uh, as I've tried to find ways to ground myself a little bit um, in the midst of such a busy schedule, the busyness of all the festivities. For a while, 
I, I was trying to figure out what I could do to slow things down amidst all the various activities that fill up your schedule during the, the Christmas season. Um, perhaps the biggest problem is that I am very much guilty of overloading my schedule during the Christmas season, kind of my fault. Um, and, and then on top of it, Chanel and I had to go and have kids, and so all of that went out the window. <laughs> so I, I've come to the realization that what I was longing for all this time, the desire that I had, was for the peace and stillness that so much of the Christmas celebration promises. We sing songs about it, right? As we've already mentioned, O Holy Night, the song that we're connecting this theme of peace to, says that his gospel is peace. We sing Silent Night, and the words and melody draw our minds to the stillness that we long for. I mean, when you hear Silent Night, you can't help but just think of stillness. I mean, even the, the tempo and the melody of that song just kind of draws you into the stillness and peace. But this is what we long for, stillness and peace in the midst of busyness and lots of other things, as we'll soon look at here. In verse 14 of Luke's account, what we just read, we hear the angels call out, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What is the peace that we're promised here? Is this the same peace that we long for? Is this the same peace that I was kind of on some sort of quest, I don't know what else to call it, um, to find? Is this peace that we long for, the same peace that Jesus came to bring? So let's unpack what his gospel of peace actually is. The peace that Jesus came to bring, I think we have at least some kind of inkling here, was different than the peace that the hearers of this announcement, the Jewish people, uh, were longing for themselves. They longed for a Messiah, especially the more extreme, um, we know them as the zealots, of which a couple of Jesus' followers were. Um, they, they were looking for a Messiah who would liberate Israel from Roman oppression and bring about an earthly peace, an end to Roman rule. But it's clear that Jesus had something else in mind. Take note of what the, act, the angels actually say here in Luke 2.14. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace that Jesus brings isn't a promise to end all wars. <clears throat> it's not a promise to eradicate injustice and to end all suffering. His peace is to end the enmity or the hostility between sinful man and God. What is promised is the spiritual peace of justification before God and reconciliation with God. God's gift of peace will not come to all humanity, but to those with whom God is pleased to call to himself. This pleasure is God's kindness or favor resting upon the elect, those who have been predestined for salvation. It's not that certain people have pleased him by their actions and thus earned his peace. It is that God's peace is gifted to those on whom he has rested his favor or his kindness upon. It is his kindness that we read in Romans 2 that leads man to repentance. Therefore, this peace or reconciliation, this end of hostility, is not gifted in general to all humanity, but to those whom he has chosen. 
This kindness or pleasure is based not on my own merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ and his finished work, and I receive it by faith. So to receive the good news of this peace is to believe that the God of the universe sent his son to die on the cross for my sin, and I am now received into his family based on Christ's atoning work. It's not just understanding some abstract idea, but to believe by faith that God has forgiven me and is now pleased with me because I am in Christ, and God the Father is pleased with his Son. And so his pleasure now rests upon me because I'm united with Christ. And all of this is found um, in Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into, his gra- into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When we speak of peace in this way, we're not speaking of the peace I'm sorry, we are speaking of the peace we have with God. But there's another aspect of peace that we need to consider, and that's the peace of God. See, only those who have experienced peace with God can truly experience the peace of God offered by Christ. Jesus not only brings about peace with God, but he graciously gives us the peace of God. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, comforts them with these words the night before his crucifixion. In John 14, 25 through 31, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, You would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. In verse 27, he speaks of the peace that he leaves with them. He gives not like the world gives, and his peace will guard our hearts from trouble and fear. A couple chapters later, but possibly only a couple hours later, he said this to them, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In both chapters 14 and 16, Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit and his work in the lives of his followers. Those who are born again receive the Holy Spirit. 
And part of the work of the comforter is to be the bringer of this peace. Despite tribulations and sorrow, we can take comfort. We have peace. We can know peace because Jesus overcame the world. So Jesus gives his peace to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your hearts or let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God given by Christ through the Holy Spirit is an inner peace. And just as the peace with God that Jesus came to bring about didn't end war, injustice, famine, suffering, sickness, etc., so too the inner peace of God doesn't bring an end of our outside circumstances. It's an inner peace. Now, the English word for peace really doesn't do the word justice. It simply means uh, freedom from disturbance or tranquility. It means an end of war. And certainly, that sounds wonderful, right? I, wouldn't, I, would, I would love to have a little bit of freedom from disturbance and some tranquility. I would love to have a ceasing of war. But the biblical concept for peace is less about the outward circumstance, at least in the right now, in what we experience right now. It's less about the outward circumstances, though it's not completely removed from it. It carries the idea that God is making things as they're supposed to be. It is living in his shalom. It's the idea of living um, in what he is making right. And Jesus began that work uh, when he went to the cross and, and he reconciled us to himself and justified us. We begin to experience the shalom, the peace of God, as he begins to set things right first. He works in our hearts. He sets our hearts right. He sets the relationship we have with the Father right as it is supposed to be. And that does have impact on the outward as he begins to, through us, affect the, the lives that we touch, the relationships that we have, the, the world that we live in. He ends the war, first and foremost, though, between sinful man and God. This is a war that we were not created to be in. We are brought back into relationship, uh, a relationship that we were created to have. Then he continues his work by continually giving us more of that inner peace. Despite the outward circumstances, we can rest in the confident hope that God will restore all things to their rightful place. He is making things as they're supposed to be. This hope gives us peace. This peace surpasses our ability to understand it. Because if one was looking only at the external, there probably would be no reason for peace. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have peace. We wouldn't be able to have hope if we just looked at the external. So as we rest in Christ, in his grace, in his power and might and in his wisdom, we grow in the knowledge of his grace and peace. We experience it in deeper ways. What we are experiencing is a taste of the future peace that he will bring about. 
when he rights all wrongs, when he returns and establishes his kingdom. So this peace brings us joy and is a blessing from God. However, there is an inherent tension in all of this because we live right now in the already and the not yet. We live smack dab in the middle of that. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And yet, though these are present realities, we also experience that the world is broken and we, we see the fallen condition of the world around us, right? And so part of the peace of God anticipates what is to come at his second coming, his second advent, when peace comes in fullness. That is when war, injustice, suffering, pain, tears, sorrow, all of the rest are finally done away with. They come to their end. Jared Wilson writes, the reality of God's peace doesn't necessarily or even usually eradicate the world's agitation. Sometimes God stills the raging storms outside, but more often than not, he has his eyes more set on the storms inside. So how then do we live in the peace that we've been talking about? Let's dig into living in that peace. The peace we often long for at Christmas time isn't merely a break from the busyness of life. It's deeper than that, even when we don't recognize it as such. It isn't some magical thing that comes to us in a Hallmark Christmas movie or even some of those really amazing claymation films. <laughs> the pressures of too many activities or too many things on the to-do list aren't going away. They're just not going away. You might have lulls in that. You might have a season where you're less busy. But life is busy. The things that seem to overwhelm us may not change, but we can experience the real peace that I've been speaking about. Back in John 14, 27, when we saw the, pre the promise that Jesus made to his disciples of the peace he leaves them, he wasn't promising peaceful circumstances. I think if you look at the lives of the disciples, it's clear they did not experience peaceful circumstances throughout their lives. He didn't promise that earth would be like heaven before the second coming. Rather, Jesus spoke to their hearts of inner peace despite life's circumstances. The reality is that there are many things that threaten our peace. In many ways, the devil, the world, and its systems, and even our flesh, the parts remaining that are affected by our fallen condition, war against the inner peace that God comes to give to us in Christ. So all around us, we recognize that sin is rampant, as Scripture describes it as. The world is full of sin and darkness, wars and rumors of wars, political divides, social and cultural pressures to accept sinful behavior that is against the ways of God. And this all threatens to rob you, the believer, of peace. And God doesn't promise to remove these outward circumstances in our lifetime, Romans 1 paints a clear picture that the judgment of God is upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior and continued in their sin. And in this judgment, God gives some over to their sin. And so the depravity that we see all around us, the, the brokenness, the, the fallen condition of the world around us, it does threaten our peace at times. 
when we see it all over. We see its effects in relationships that we have with people. We see it affecting family members, friends, loved ones, coworkers. We see it all over the media, whether TV, whatever, social media, it's all over the place. I, I, can, I can bring you some bad news. Just grab your phone and open up Twitter or Facebook. There's, there's going to be some bad news within about 2.5 seconds, I'm sure. And it threatens to rob our peace. But until Jesus returns or saves those who are in that darkness, these circumstances will remain. We aren't going to clear this all up without Jesus saving sinners or his return. So more than just all that, what I've described, which is pretty bleak, more than just the fallen condition and sin and all of that, we recognize that because of sin, there's a lot of horrible things that have entered the world that are not directly um, results of individual sins. Things like sickness, suffering, financial struggles, strife in relationships, and more. These are all things that are a result of the fallen condition, but aren't necessarily direct consequences of an individual sin that you may have committed. Certainly at times it may be, but it's not absolutely that way. It's the result of a fallen world. And they can all affect us in the same way. So again, how do we live in the peace of God despite all of that surrounding us? How does the gospel of peace speak to us? I just want to encourage you this morning that you don't have to run for the hills, away from everything, cowering in fear. Because the gospel of peace gives us something that is so much better than that. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 15 through 17, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this is just a small segment of chapter 3. The context of that chapter is helpful as we see how to live in the better way that the gospel has given us. See, this chapter begins by saying that we should look to Christ and set our minds on things above. That our life is hidden with God. And then Paul lists the ways the deeds of the flesh defined our lives before we were born again. The things of the flesh which characterize the old self. But that is what we once were. Now we have put on the new self with lives characterized by new things, such as love, kindness, and humility. And now we can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. So look to Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And a lot of this third chapter of Colossians, if you were to compare it, uh, sounds awfully similar to chapter 5 of Galatians, where we are given the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Before he does that, he speaks of walking in freedom or liberty. The gospel frees us to walk in freedom by the Holy Spirit. I want to read a section of this that's probably very familiar to us, Galatians 5, 16 through 24. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For though these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what am I saying here? Believer, because of Christ, you have been liberated from the works of the flesh, the things that previously defined you, and now you have a new self, and you can walk in freedom from the flesh. You've been liberated to do so. You can live a life dominated by the Spirit rather than the old sinful nature. The old nature was crucified, and its passions and desires along with it. This is all gospel doctrine. And it's doctrine that has direct practical impact on our daily lives. Because of this transformation, you can live in freedom. And this is a freedom that Christ has won for you. So, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on Christ. Let his peace rule your heart. You have been liberated to do so. As you look to Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, including peace, will grow. I want to touch on anxiety for a moment. Anxiety is not always directly connected to sin in our life or the lives of others, though it's definitely a result of the fallen condition. We will have anxiety, stress, and fear. And at times, it may be overwhelming. But I want to encourage you in the midst of that, maybe you're battling with that today. You're never abandoned. Jesus is with you in that. Look to him, and he will give you more peace. That is what his promise is to you. Though you may have to go through that for a season, he is with you. Now, it is true that Satan and his forces wage war against believers primarily through weapons of distraction and fear. And though he cannot destroy your standing with Christ, he lies to you in an attempt to take your eyes off of Christ. He can distract you and even cause fear, but he cannot snatch you from God's hands. Fear and anxiety, whether from the world, the flesh, or the devil, do not have to steal the peace that Jesus gives. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This idea of schemes is the idea that the devil is a tricky fellow. And that is his primary weapon that he is working with against us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the 
on the belt of the truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So brothers and sisters, how do we fight? By holding fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at this armor, it all speaks of the gospel. And this armor, we're already clothed in it. Remind yourself and each other of the gospel and all of its benefits. Derek once said that we fuel and protect our heart for spiritual warfare with the gospel. It is both our fuel and our protection. In doing so, we take every thought captive and we see the gospel defeat these tricks of the enemy. Verse 15 specifically deals with peace. Uh, the New Living Translation paraphrases this as, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. As we read earlier in Philippians, this peace that comes from the good news will guard your heart and mind. And it is a peace that sometimes we don't even have the ability to understand. It comes to us as a gift. Paul lived in light of the gospel of peace, and it gave him confidence. He writes this in Romans 8, 34 and 35 as someone who has experienced this peace. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul knew that nothing could separate him from the love of Christ no matter what it looked like around him. He lived in times of intense persecution. He experienced many terrible things. You can read about it, I believe, in 2 Corinthians. He talks about some of the many ways he experienced trial and tribulation. You can have that same confidence. You can have that same peace that he had. You have the same armor that he spoke of. You're already clothed in it. I think, in essence, what this is saying uh, when we go back to the, the section of Ephesians about the armor of God is, you're clothed in this, so use it. Stand in it. Take advantage of what you have. You can live in light of the gospel of peace, his shalom, the way things are supposed to be despite all the circumstances around us, suffering, sickness, tragedy, trials, persecution, accusation, and all the various things that threaten your peace. Who or what can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ? The most important things that have threatened us, that have threatened our peace, have been settled by Christ already. When he won for his chosen people peace with God, and so, beloved, I call you today to live in light of the gospel of peace. Put your cares and concerns on his shoulders because he alone can carry it. We can't, but he can. The peace of God can be 
like the petals of a flower unfolding in the morning sunlight. The petals of peace unfold in our lives as we grow in Christ. As we bask more and more in who God is and what he's done in Christ Jesus, we learn more about him, his love, his wisdom, his ways. We can rely on his faithfulness because circumstances in our lives will never change who he is. Certainly when we're in the midst of these difficult things, as I've mentioned, I, I think in the last message I shared, we begin to experience a deeper fellowship with Christ, a, deep, a deeper communion with Christ as we suffer, as we go through difficult trials and things. We experience a deeper uh, communion with Christ in the midst of that. So this morning, if you feel a lack of peace, and I believe at some point in time, all of us will deal with this. No one person is alone in the battle of living in peace. We all deal with this. I want to encourage you this morning to ask the Father for more of his peace. Jesus gives, and he gives graciously. You already have peace with God. He's given you the peace of God, but you certainly can experience more of this peace on a daily basis. So go to the Father and ask him for peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit, so ask, and he will give. Now, it's Christmas, and many of you will be giving gifts. Jesus said to the Jews of his days, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give, th give good things to those who ask him? God is indeed a good Father, amen, who gives graciously. So ask and continue to ask. And I know... Certainly that if you are in this struggle, you have asked. Continue to ask. It doesn't mean that the circumstances will always change around us. But he can certainly change you in the midst of your circumstances. This peace that he brings, brings joy, despite what surrounds us. As the song says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your peace. We thank you that Jesus has won for us peace with you, and the peace that you graciously gift to us. Father, may we experience more of your peace in our daily lives, Lord. I especially lift up those who might be suffering here this morning through all sorts of trials. Father, these are trials that they were never meant to bear alone. And so first, I would just ask that you encourage them that you are with them. You are near in the midst of these circumstances. And that their hearts would be flooded with your peace. Lord, that they would be able to echo the words of this song and feel a thrill of hope as their weary soul finds new joy. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. 
the ultimate gift that we celebrate during this season. We praise you for that, Father. We praise you for Jesus this morning. Lord, lift our hearts. Lift our eyes to look to Jesus and to set our minds on things above, that we wouldn't be distracted by all the schemes of the enemy, all the deceit of the flesh and the world around us and its systems. But Father, that we would find true joy in Jesus Christ despite all that is around us. And Lord, that we may hope in the promise that one day you will set all things right, that all these outward circumstances will find their end and we will have eternal life with you and your dear son. Praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.